Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once all entrusted to God's holy people. another episode of Standing Firm, Defenders of Faith. My name is Candace Paul, and I am with my hosts, uh, Darian Eaton, Najiji Hawkins, and David Chandler. And we're going to begin with prayer. Please allow us to have an edifying discussion where people learn and get a lot of questions answered. Uh, many things that weren't clarified before helps them become clear and transparent during this show. Amen. So when we start to talk about the Bible, there's a few questions that come to mind. You know, what is the Bible? Where did it start? Why did it start? When did it start? How? And a lot of these questions can be answered. There's a lot of things that we already know. We know that it was comprised by 40 authors written over a 2,000-year period on three continents in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. So that's the information we know, but there's so much more about the Bible that people need to study and dig deep and get a deeper understanding about. And Darian's going to get us started in leading that discussion. Darian? Thank you, Candice. Um, Great introduction, by the way. I definitely want to point out that the Bible... And this is a quote by a fellow brother in Christ by the name of Vodi Bakum that I, I respect highly. He quoted, The Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the life and time of other eyewitnesses which report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy and claim to be divine rather than human in origin. And so tonight we definitely want to unpack those things because... It is imperative for the young Christian to be able to answer those things from an apologetical standpoint and also for those who are straling the fence or unbelievers who desire to get information should know. And so as we begin to talk about those things, the Bible being a reliable collection of historical documents, I do also want to point out that we have Brothers in the faith, um, Nelson, Najiti, David, who are into these things, and we'll possibly see Nelson later on in one of the other episodes, so stay tuned for that. But Nelson, uh, GT, and um, David can uh, give us more information and insight on those particular things. But GT, before we got in, into any further discussion, did you want to give your your overview as to what the Bible is from your standpoint? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, and this is just my, my, my own personal observation of what the Bible is. And you may, you may have heard it and a lot of other people may have heard it. Um, to me, the Bible 
is considered the basic instructions before leaving Earth. Mm-hmm. And looking at everything that's in it, you know, it tells us the history from the time God created man and what uh, the history in between there and what God intends for mankind uh, uh, in, in the latter days uh, when he sets up the kingdom and uh, the kingdom of God is set up forever. Uh, in between there, as I've always said, what you would what you would see is that the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, and the New Testament points back to Jesus Christ. And so, what we have is uh, a book that focuses on Jesus Christ. And the point of the book is to show what histories have what histories have taken place, what God has done. Uh, how God has planned everything uh, from, again, from the beginning all the way to the end, and how he is ultimately in control of everything that has happened. Um, mm-hmm. We see we see the prophecies that predict further prophecies that actually happen 100 years later when we look at the historical perspective. For instance, you have the prophecies of Daniel, that pointed to uh, uh, Cyrus the Great. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, it was Isaiah who prophesied of Cyrus the Great, who came 100 years later during Daniel's time. Uh, Daniel pointed out the 490 years that's supposed to transpire, uh, the 70 of seven, uh, 70 of seven weeks um, that were that you where you have specific types of uh, historical events like the rebuilding of the temple under Artaxerxes and Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you read in Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah was given the instructions to rebuild the city and the temple, uh, even in troublesome times. And this is not, this can, I mean, this can't only, it's not only confirmed from the scripture point of view, but you can just go and look in the history books and see uh, uh, secular history, how it coincides uh, with biblical history. So, uh, to me, the Bible is pretty much a basic instruction on how we ought to live as Christians, um, the history of how we came to where we are now in our faith, the plan that God has for us through Jesus Christ, and uh, is also a historical um, reference that we can refer to as many other historians have done, they uh, reference back to the, the Bible for a lot of things that have taken place in history that they can't answer mainly through archaeological means. So that's what the Bible uh, is for me in, in an overall view. And of course, it's divinely inspired by God. And we see the evidence of that when we look at Again, the events that have taken place, the prophecies that have been predicted and uh, have been confirmed, and some of the other prophecies uh, that are happening right before our eyes. So that's that's what I see the Bible as. Amen. And so before I want to pass the ball to David, before I pass the ball to David, I, I definitely wanted to point out something that you said that was important for our listeners to understand. What I realized that you said was, which was great, was that history. The Bible is 
a source of information that seems to be outside of the time domain. There are things that are mentioned in the Old Testament that don't happen until the New Testament, but are foretold by a different author than the author writing 800 years later. And so things like that, but when we get to talk about prophecy and things of that, it's very interesting. How is it that a person on a completely different continent, uh, yeah, a completely different continent is able to confirm something that happens 800 years after it was quoted by a different prophet? That's very amazing. And so the reason I wanted to bring that up is because uh, a brother in the faith, our brother in the faith, David, is is definitely good at dialogue about these particular things and um, break the breakdown in history of the manuscripts themselves and the transitions within time. So, David? Thank you, Darian. Um, the... <clears throat> Well, the transitions are uh, in time, as Darian has pointed out, is in regarding to uh, the scriptures, is very important. Uh, first of all, I want to start with what actually is inspiration. And the two types of inspiration, well, there's actually one type, and the two types are you typically confused, but they're all, they're, it's, they coincide with each other. They're they're interchangeable, in, in other words. And that's verbal plenary. And what I mean by that is that the scriptures, that the words, are inspired by God. In 1 Timothy 3.16, we have <clears throat> that the writers were inspired. And as a matter of fact, let me quote that passage of scripture before I go on. And that's 1 Timothy 3.16. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction for re in righteousness, that the man, verse 17, of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So what does that mean? What is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about all in all scripture 60 so let me go back the, the the bible or the canon of scripture 39 old testament 27 new testament and those uh <clears throat> books are composed of the pentateuch which is the five books of moses genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy and that talks about basically the history of Israel and all the way up into the judges. Then you have the poetry wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And those five books also contain the poetry of the nation of Israel. And then we have the prophets, the major prophets, five of them actually. And you have Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, which was written by the weeping prophet Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel and Daniel, which are also known as the prophetic books. And then you have the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. 
And then you have the, the New Testament. The New Testament <clears throat> comes in 400 years after the Old Testament canon was closed. That's 400 years, actually. And that's composed of the Gospels, of the four apostolic letters, or also known as the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What, am I, what do I mean by Synoptic Gospels? Well, basically, these apostles were writing these books from not necessarily their own perspective, but it was given them that they were writing these books and they were all talking about the life and times of Jesus Christ. And so this is from his birth all the way up to his crucifixion. And the person in work and, and it's talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ and why he came to earth. Well, what did he come to earth for? He came to earth for the sin the to to bring back sinful man to God again because God because man was separated from God. So we have the church age, the beginning of the church age, which is in the book of Acts written by the Luke the physician, and it's talking about the the descending from Christ, 50 days after Christ resurrected uh, his his ascension to uh heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so he gave he promised the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would descend from heaven and empower them to go out and spread the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so we have that, the book of Acts, and the Pauline epistles, which is consisting of Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and all of these are churches, letters to different churches that are in Asia Minor during that time when Paul was arrested by and imprisoned by Roman by uh, Nero the uh, the emperor before he was eventually killed, and and of course. Paul's personal letter, uh, letters, including, including the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, and the general epistles are the. Uh, and by the way, the pastoral epistles are in. You know, they're they're talking about church polity and uh, church discipline. The general epistles are talking about first and second. Well, it consists of first, second, and third John and Jude. And then, of course, we have the book of Revelation written by John the Revelator, or the Apostle John, when he was... But uh, those are the the Bible. That's the complete canon of Scripture. And so Second Timothy is talking about all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so it is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. Doctrine is... A belief system that we that that is established, and then you have reproof, which is um, reproof basically is discipline and correction and for instruction in righteousness and righteousness in what righteousness in God, knowing who God is and what He wants for our lives, that the man of God be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. So that's our. And by the way, the canon means a rule of thumb in what is known as truth. And this is what we glean towards as believers in Christ. We glean towards the canon of the completed canon of scripture, which is the final authority in all in 
all faith and practice. I want to I want to include something in this uh, in this little discussion um, because this is something that will come up. Considering the time that Paul wrote, uh, what was it? Um, Second Tim Second Timothy. Now, some people will ask the question. They will say, "Well, when when Paul says all Scripture is inspired by God and good for reproof, so on and so on, they will say, "Well, how is it that he's talking about all of the other epistles, uh, like Second Peter and some of the other books uh, at his time when those books hadn't?" Um, when those books had, well, actually, let me reverse that. When his when his epistles uh, hadn't spread as as much as the uh, synoptic gospels, well, an easy way to answer this question when someone tries to challenge when someone tries to challenge the authority of the inspiration of the scriptures when it comes to not only uh, Paul or some of the other apostles. All we have to do is look at what the apostles, what the apostle uh, Peter said about Paul, and then we can now include Paul's letters also in to the gospel. And if we read in Second Peter, uh, let's see, let's look at Second Peter three fifteen. Uh, let's see. Okay. And I'm going to start from verse 12, and I'm going to read 2 Peter 3. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervor and heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for new heavens and for a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you took for such things, being diligent, that he looks for such things, being diligent, that you may find of him in peace without spot and blemish or blameless. And I count that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul. Notice here, Peter mentions Paul. And he says, Our brother Paul, also according the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, has also in all his epistles, talking about Paul's writing, speaking in, in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. The reason I point that out is because you have a group out there, people who will say, well, Paul wasn't a real apostle. You, really, you have people out there claiming to be Christians who would say Paul is not a real apostle. But here we have Peter including the writings of Paul as scripture. So in hindsight in hindsight, Paul refers to not just what he has written, but to all of what the apostles have written and the prophets have written as divinely inspired scripture. And again, um I'm gonna probably I'm, well, I am going to bounce off of what you just said, Njiti, because it's very important to understand that that's what the word canon means. Canon means 
measuring stick or a rule of thumb by which we look to or any Christian looks to as a as their rule of 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 what is called authenticated truth. So if we believe that the Bible is true, then aren't the writers true? I mean, aren't the the the, the people that wrote this you hear a lot of individuals that tell us that well the Bible is written by man so we shouldn't trust everything that's written in it. Well, if that's the case, then none of it is real because all of the the writers were lying somehow. They, it wasn't authenticated. It wasn't true. It wasn't. It, it basically it was they were writing these uh, books subjectively. They, their writings weren't considered to be uh, you know authoritative truth. So in order for us to say or make the argument that all scripture is authoritative, all scripture is regarded as absolute truth, then we have to, to some degree or we have to consider the fact that the authors were actually given authoritative truth from some other source. Amen. That was definitely great information, gentlemen. And so it's important that we understand this information and internalize it and be ready to swiftly answer, as the Bible says. And with that being said, I thought I would point out a few more things to add to what we've already been talking about. So, of course, we've already covered that the Bible uh, it's 66, 66 books written over three continents, which are Asia, Africa, and Europe, and three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and the New Testament written in Greek, over, which it's important that we say this again. Over 40 different authors, most of whom never met each other, written by eyewitnesses during the life and time of other eyewitnesses over a period of 2,000 years, we had names, dates, places. In fact, here's another nugget of information. Over 2,300 archaeological digs that confirm accuracy found in the Bible, not one, not one person is able to refute what is found in the Bible in regards to those things. And so, as we were talking... I wanted to point out something else to add to our arsenals as believers and something to the unbelievers or scoffers who, who like to kick dirt over the Bible to say um, funny things. Here's the point. Do you know that there is a gentleman by the name of Homer? He has a writing that when you go to college, you hear about Homer's Iliad. Let me give you a definition first. A manuscript is uh, typically a handwritten copy of specific information. And so, and, that, and that, that's just a, my, my breakdown. And so when, when we talk about manuscripts, there are old documents um, that are, have been written by millions, thousands, uh, 
a lot of people. And 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 over time, when archaeologists dig, they find information recorded by her for different people. For for instance, Homer's Iliad. Then you also have the writings of Socrates, Aristotle's Poetics, Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. So, and then we have the Bible, the manuscripts from the Bible. When we talk about manuscripts, uh, the oldest writing we have for a person like Homer's Iliad is 2,000 years later. So the original writings they don't have, but they have writings that are 2,000 years later than the original. The writings of Socrates, we don't have any original copies of the manuscript or the handwritten documents. Aristotle's Poetics are 1,400 years later than the original document. The closest thing that we have for something something that we would call secular or something that is not uh, um, a part of biblical information, Julius Caesar, whom we know existed because there are tons of people who are eyewitnesses who wrote about him and tons of people who came shortly thereafter, who have historical information on him. The only, the earliest manuscripts that we have for Julius Caesar's Gallic War is a thousand years later. Now, the Bible, the earliest New Testament manuscript, which is the, the, the I guess, the youngest portion of the Bible, the New Testament, the, the, the New Covenant, we'll talk about uh, uh, what that means in later um, episodes. But the earliest manuscripts we have are about 120 A.D., which predates the Council of Nicaea. That is very important. We have a, a resident uh, uh, time guy, is what I would call, call him, Brother Hawkins. A, uh, he's into dates and times and 120 A.D. is not, that's not a lot of time from the original to the earliest manuscripts we have. And so if we believe, here's a question, if we believe that Julius Caesar existed and the earliest writings we have to substantiate his existence are a thousand years old, how come... We have a problem with believing that the manuscripts of the handwritten original autographs, the original written documents that we have for the Bible are about 120 A.D., which is predating the Council of Nicaea. That's important because there's another argument there, that Constantine and all of the, the gentlemen in the Roman Catholic Church compiled documents to make Jesus look like a superhero and so on and so forth. Not so. But I wanted to add that. And speaking of this type of information from a, 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 a argumentative or debate standpoint and just the historical context, Candace, is there anything that you can contribute to this particular conversation to help our audience? Well, I would love to. First of all, all the information you all have given so far is incredibly important. And it's sometimes it's hard to understand 
that the Bible can be a trusted document, and it's trusted by science. So there's something called the historical method, and this is what scientists use to prove whether certain documents can be trusted, just like the manuscripts you talked about, um, things that you find in archaeological finds. How can this be trusted? And so there was a professor and an author by the name of Gilbert Garion, and he divides this into six questions that people can ask in terms of determining the authenticity of writings. So a lot of times they ask, when was the source written? When was it produced? Can you verify a date? And then you say, where was it produced? And then you say, by whom was it produced, the authorship? Was there any pre-existing material to use in this analysis? And what original form was it produced? So what's the integrity of the document? And is there evidential value? Are there contents? There's credibility. If the sources all agree about an event, historians can consider it to be proven. So essentially... If you hear about an event from this source, and then another source talks about the same event, and then another source talks about the same thing happening, and all of these people are totally unrelated, oftentimes historians will agree that the event occurred simply because it seems too hard, entirely too difficult to contrive all of these things. All of these people from this continent and this continent, speaking this language and this language and this language, all decided to somehow get together and create this fanciful story. And so um, when historians find that multiple people talk about the same event and they're unrelated, they tend to trust that. And so there's many things that the historical method does, and science uses this often. And we see that the Bible often uses this. Uh, we have, like we said before, 40 authors who speak about the truth of a person who lived 2,000 years ago. And so uh, I think that is incredibly important to discuss. So do you all have anything to add to that? Yeah, I would. Um, GT. And the historical method is, is a very important one because what we what we see happening is the uh biblical stories taking place uh side by side with uh secular nations or nations other than the uh children of Israel. And that's important because a lot of these other nations have had uh relationships with the children of Israel, either enslaving them or fighting wars with them, or being allied with them. Uh, one of the issues, though, is although you have secular historians who will look at uh, archaeological evidence, sometimes they have a clear bias, especially when it comes to uh, when it comes to the Bible, because again, this the Bible is something that a lot of people in the scientific community. Uh, reject because they feel like, one, uh, some of the events in the Bible don't line up with the conventional uh, chronologies of the the archaeological finds. Uh, 
but it's important to understand that, uh, for example, if we look at the Exodus, for example, uh, we're getting to the nuts and bolts of it on on a, on a different show, but a simple a simple explanation of how to figure out specific not specific dates but years as to when uh as to when the uh events of the Bible took place. What you can do is look at Book of Genesis. If you take the Bible literally and you look at the six day creation, you look in uh you look at the six days of creation, God rested on the seventh. God created man on the sixth day. Adam was 930 years when he died. What you can do is go from Adam, and he had his son, I believe, when he was 120 years old. So we know that Seth, who was born at 120 years after the creation of Earth, and you just continue on the timeline that way. And what you get is about 14, uh, well, from there, from the creation up to Jesus Christ, you get about 4,000 years. Now, going backwards, uh, before Christ, all you do is calculate the years. Uh, so we find out that the Exodus took place in, in or around 1489 BC before Christ. And we also see a clear bias when they done changed up the BC to common area or before the common area, BCE. Because they don't want to admit that the Bible is a very good historical source. So they just switched up the name from before Christ to before the common era. But in any case, when looking at before Christ, 14 years, uh, 1489 BC, what you see is the Exodus taking place. Now, you may have seen the Ten Commandments with Charles and Hester, and then he's, he plays Moses, and he's in his love triangle with Nefertiti and Ramses uh, and all that. But the, the, the problem is, is that the conventional history of Egypt does not line up in a way that we put Ramses, like Ramses uh, comes to us around... Uh, maybe 800 years BC. Uh, I'll have to resource my own, look at my notes for this, but in any case, the Bible does not agree with conventional, the conventional chronologies of the Egyptian timeline. The reason being is because they have calculated the timeline wrong, uh, through two sources, mainly, one is Manitho's Pharaoh's uh, list. What he doesn't seem to uh, calculate is that some of these pharaohs served at the same time. And some of these pharaohs were the same person, but they changed names as they gained prominence throughout their ranks. So we have almost a 700 to 800-year gap of deficiencies with the conventional Egyptian timeline versus the biblical timeline. And so these are things to look out for when we do refer to the secular history versus the biblical history. As a Christian, me, I always refer back to the biblical standard of history 
versus the conventional view, unless the conventional view lines up with the biblical view. And when you approach the, the, the topic objectively, you won't have any other choice but to uh, accept the fact that what the Bible is saying is factual. I would refer uh, you guys to an author by the name of David M. Rowley, and in his book, Pharaohs and Kings, A Biblical Quest, he does just that. He approaches, he's not even a believer. He approaches the subject objectively, looks at the evidence, and he sees within the 14, 14, 15, 14 and 1300 B.C. time frame that there was a mass exodus in two places, Goshen and uh, another city south of uh, Cairo. And these cities, these dwelling places uh, were residents of people who were not native to Egypt because of the way the houses were built. So, uh, again, not to go into too much details about this, but, yes, this is, uh, the, the, be careful when you refer to or look at secular historical uh, references, just to always keep in mind, keep, keep your, 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 your foundation with the biblical standard. Again, if canon means law or, or rule, rule thumb, then the Bible should be the measuring stick by which we measure everything else. And if it doesn't add up, guess what? You have to, you should reject it, in my honest opinion. I think that was wonderful information. And I just wanted to add just one little point about this. For those people who like to question the Bible in terms of its authenticity and what it is and what it means, information is information. So consider it as just a source of information for now, and then you can build and hopefully as you read, gain a better understanding and hopefully acceptance of it. But for now, what's the harm in considering it as just another informational source? to put against other things that you've studied as well. And this is, that comment is strictly for people who are on the fence, who are questioning it. Just consider it as more information to evaluate. Amen, Candice. And GT, that was definitely a great breakdown. And it ties back into what I was going to bring up. Going back into canon being the, the rule of measure, the question is, Specifically for the New Testament, what was uh, what we would call uh, how is canon identified? What is the criteria? And so I want to give you five brief uh, nuggets of information so that you will know what the early church did to solidify what can be trusted and what should be, uh, uh, quote, unquote, the canon of Scripture and what was not. And so the first thing that the early church would do is ask themselves this. Was the book written by a prophet of God? And if it wasn't written by a prophet of God, doesn't fit. Was the writer authenticated by miracles to confirm his message? Does the book tell the truth about God with no falsehood or contradiction? Does the book evidence a divine capacity to transform lives? 
Was the book accepted as God's word by the people to whom it was first delivered? Of course, of these criteria, the one of the most important was the first one. Was the book written by a prophet? Did the book receive apostolic approval? That was the chief test of canonicity in the early church. That type of criterion you're on is very logical and a result of knowing when an apostle was, the apostles were gifted by God to be the founders and leaders of the church. So it is reasonable to accept that through them came the word governing the church. And so the apostles were promised the spirit of truth who would bring them to the, their remembrance of what Christ had said. Um, for those Bible scholars and uh, page stumpers, that's in uh, John fourteen twenty six, And then it says, uh, I'm shooting from the hip, and guide them into all truth in John chapter 16, verse 13. And so those are the things that you want to look at when you talk about uh, the importance of canon in Scripture. So canon is definitely a vocabulary word to take home, to add that to the back of your mind, as well as inspiration. We talked briefly about that. And so that word there in the Greek means God breathed. And so when God has given his word from outside of the time domain, he definitely was able to authenticate his word by saying things that would happen hundreds of years before they actually came to fruition. What are the odds that something could be mentioned 800 years before they actually had it? By a completely different author, God allowed holy men to speak using their own character and personality, but to uh, uh, convey a message by God from these particular men, from the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament apostles and leaders of the early church. And so it is definitely important for us to get a better understanding of biblical worldviews, how the Bible was compiled, the history that surrounds the church and the scriptures, Judeo-Christian values and things that come along with being a believer in the Bible and the God of the Bible. And so this is a great starting point for us as the episodes continue. I, I completely agree. And um, with so much misinformation out there, I always reinforce that it is imperative for you to read for yourself. Um, start with the Bible, get a good understanding, and research, do supplemental research as needed. But definitely get a handle on the information yourself, like Darian was saying, and with all of the information that's been presented tonight, so. Amen, David, Candace. Yeah, and David, do you have anything to add? 
yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, there's a lot of – you mentioned something about the uh, common misconceptions. Well, not misconceptions, but the uh, common errors that come along with uh, understanding that the Bible is authoritative in all faith and practice. And also uh, – and, and, and I've noticed this, especially when it comes to rules of interpretation. Now, we're going to talk about this later on, uh, but it's very important that when one is reading the Scriptures, always, 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 always learn to read the Bible first and foremost, literally. And all of the obscure passages of scripture that's what we call them the ones that are not easily understood but they're called um, the uh, obscure passages of scripture we have to first look at context and, and I'm going to get into that later on but see that the problem is and that's where a lot of false t teaching comes from because we, we don't know how to in properly know the rules of biblical interpretation and that's called hermeneutics so uh, again, we're going to get into that at a later uh, at, a, at another show. But I just wanted to really point that out there because uh, when it comes to biblical interpretation, there's a lot of issues, a lot yeah. of issues. And one of those issues is eternal security. Second issue is the um, spiritual gifts. Third issue is election, and the fourth issue, and more prominently, is women in the ministry. And uh, I'm really going to break this down uh, at the next show, uh, but stay tuned for that. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Darian. Amen. Thank you, David. So, in closing, I would like to say, as a reminder, a fellow brother in the faith by the name of Vodi Bakum has said, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the life and time of other eyewitnesses which report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy and claim to be divine rather than human in origin. I would like to also add that the Bible is his revelation outside of the time domain of his creation of what, what who, what, when, where, why, and how who he is, why we are here, what is our purpose, and our ultimate purpose is to glorify his name. So I definitely wanted to point that out. Thank you guys for tuning in. Please like and subscribe to our channel, and we will talk to you soon. Love you guys and be blessed. Amen.